So this morning, I thought we would begin a short series on Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, the Colossian church. There's some nuggets within Paul's letter to the Colossians that I think uh, are important to us as we are in this time of discernment and decision making concerning our future as uh, the church. Let me just start by beginning with uh, Colossians 1, verse 1. This is Paul's salutation, his greeting to the church at Colossae. And, and as you know, anytime Paul writes a letter to one of the churches, he's writing a letter to this church as well. And he begins, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. These two verses are the salutation of Paul's letter. They reveal some interesting things about Paul's call to ministry that are useful to us as the body of Christ in motion in Splendora. He's saying... I, Paul, have been sent on a special assignment by Jesus Christ himself as part of God's master plan. And together with my friend Timothy, I'm greeting you Christians and followers of Christ Jesus who live in Colossae or Splendor. May everything good from God our Father be yours. See, Paul asserts his calling as an individual. He says that my calling is personal. My calling is special. And when I say special, I mean it's unique to me. And that's not just true for Paul, by the way. Each of us as believers is called individually. And God has a ministry and a mission and a purpose for each of us in the kingdom as we are all valuable members of the body of Christ. And so I have to ask myself a question. Do I know what my purpose is? Do you know what your purpose is? Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and ask the question, what's my purpose? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. What's my purpose? I'm with you. I ask myself that every day. Have you explored, in other words, your mission and your ministry within the church? Have you discerned what spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you? And have you taken steps to put those gifts to work for the advancement of the kingdom of God, which is right here now? It's not just something to hope for in the future. The kingdom of God is here. Right? It's here now. And so if you're asking the question, which is a perfectly valid question to ask, what's my purpose? Your timing is excellent. Let's go to verse three. In our prayers, Paul says, for you, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. 
People had heard of the church at Colossae because they were busily doing the kingdom work. And I guarantee you that folks in Splendora have heard the name of Splendora Methodist Church because of the work that you are doing in the community. Same, same. No difference between us, I guess, and the church in Colossae. You have a reputation for doing the kingdom work. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learn from Epaphras. See, it's, it's not just you guys reading the Old Testament that have issues. Our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. See, Paul says that we are working in God's orchard. Our prayers for you, he says, are always spilling over into thanksgivings. We pray for you and we rejoice in the kingdom work that you have a reputation for doing in your community. We can't quit thanking God our Father and Jesus our Messiah for you. We keep getting reports on your steady faith in Christ, our Jesus, and the love you continuously extend to all Christians. The lines of purpose in your lives never grow slack, he says. They're tied tightly as they are to your future in heaven and they're kept taught by hope isn't that a great image that we are we are bound to our future hope in christ and the good works that you are doing are keeping you tethered to the kingdom of god and you're never going slack in your labor for the kingdom I know that's true because it's a hundred and something degrees out there and come food pantry morning here, it's going to be 90 something, even at seven o'clock in the morning. I've seen the forecast and we will be sweaty and we will feel as though we have done some work. But also when we come back in here to the cool and we kind of have our debrief, each one of you in your heart will feel as though you have accomplished kingdom work. Yeah, it's not easy. It's hot. It's sweaty. But it is worthwhile for every mouth that gets to eat a little more this month because of what you're doing. It says the message is as true among you today as when you first heard it. In other words, the gospel. It doesn't diminish or weaken over time. It's the same all over the world, all through time. The message bears fruit and it gets larger and stronger just as it has in you from the very first day you heard and recognized the truth of what God is doing. Paul says you've been hungry for more. Isn't that the way it is? You get a little taste of the gospel and you want to know more. And so you get a little more and you want more. You never cease being hungry for the gospel. It, it fills you up 
And it keeps you hungry at the same time. I don't know any other food that does that except for maybe Chinese food. I've heard that when you eat that, you're hungry an hour later. I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. From the very first day you heard it and recognized the truth of what God is doing, you have been hungry for more. It's as vigorous in you now as when you heard it from our friend and close associate, the guy whose name starts with E. He is one reliable worker for Christ. I can always depend on him, Paul says. He's the one who told us how, thorough, how thoroughly love had been worked into your lives by the Holy Spirit. Paul is giving thanks. He's praising the congregation at Colossae. He's giving thanks to God for this congregation. And he praises them for their steadfast faith and for their continued growth in Christ. And so as I read Paul praising and thanking for the church in Colossae, you know, it occurs to me that from time to time we need to do that here. We need to praise God for this congregation, this body of Christ here in Splendora. We need to take time this morning to thank God for the church at Countryside. We need to praise God for his continued work through you and acknowledge your faithfulness and hunger for the Lord and his word. I think that's time well spent, don't you? We need to say thank you to God. For those of you who are faithful to attend church regularly, we need to say thank you for you. For those of you who are faithful to understand that the generous giving of your tithes and offerings is not because God needs the money, but because you and I need the spiritual benefit and blessing of having a compassionate giving heart for the purposes of God and the advancement of the kingdom. We need to say thank you for those of you who give to the ministry and mission of this church. We need to thank God for those of you who come to Bible study so that you can be equipped to do the mission and ministry that God has called you to. We need to thank God for those of you who do the business of the church who serve the community in whatever capacity you serve the community, who serve as ushers, who participate in the worship service, who serve as lay servants, who play music and sing, and who do the upkeep and maintenance of the church, who pray for the congregation, who pray for the community, who, who teach, who care for people in the congregation. We need to say thank you and we need to thank God for you. Why? Because the kingdom work that you do honors and glorifies God. And oh, by the way, it helps people. Love God, love your neighbor. Right? All this time we have been spending on 
disaffiliation and alignment of, of you know where we're going next. During all of this time, and it's hard work, there's no question, there are important decisions to be made, but what moves me the most about you is that even though you've had all of this that you're dealing with, you have not once swayed from doing the kingdom work that you're, you've been called to do. And that's saying something. And the same types of things were going on in the church in Colossae in Paul's day. Which is why he says in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It has come to my attention over these weeks that there are many false teachers and false prophets out there trying to distract you from the mission and purpose of the church to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And the key part of that is transformation. Transformation is the mission that Jesus was on in His earthly ministry. He ate with sinners, not so that the world would say, oh, I guess maybe their sin's not so bad. No, he was not there to affirm their sin. He was there to show them that the way of transformation was what he was about. He didn't want them to affirm their sin. He wanted them to transform their lives into a life that is Christ-like. Now, there are false teachers out there who will say, that when we speak the truth, we are unloving. Have you heard this? The truth is that a failure to speak the truth in love is the most unloving thing that we could do for anyone. Because unless they hear the truth, they don't have the opportunity to understand the truth and to transform into Christ-likeness. If you tell them that their sin, whatever sin it is, and incidentally, we're all sinners here. 
If you tell someone their sin is okay with God, what happens to that soul in front of Jesus Christ when Jesus reminds them, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, I never knew you. But pastor so-and-so said that my sin was okay. Well, I got news for pastor so-and-so when he stands before Jesus, he's going to get a similar statement. The most unloving thing we can do is tell someone that their sin is okay. Now, does that mean that, they, that we don't grant them access? Oh, that person is a sinner. We're not going to let them into the church. Now, that, that coffee there, that's not for sinners, right? No, we're going to be hospitable. We're going to be loving. We're going to include and invite, welcoming, and make them understand they are just one more sinner in a congregation of sinners. But we will never say to anyone, your sin is okay with God. We can't do that. Now, we don't have to be judgmental and, and look down our noses at them because our sin is just as grievous to God as whatever theirs might be. What's the point? The point is be careful of the false prophets telling you that sin is okay. The second you hear somebody say, well, it's really not that bad. Shouldn't we just be inclusive and tolerant of everyone and their sin? Transformation is what Jesus intended for sinners. That's why we gather here. So that we can receive the grace and mercy of God and the transformation that Jesus offers when we accept that grace and mercy and profess Jesus as Lord. How do we continue to grow in the faith? Paul is asking us here in these verses. How do we remain faithful to all? How do we remain steadfast in our mission and our ministry? How do we stay on course? How do we continue to live lives and do good works that honor and glorify God? In other words, how do we be worthy of the calling that God has given us? Well, if we take Paul's example, it's clear that the only way that we can be worthy of our calling is to be obedient to the word and to pray. We must pray earnestly without ceasing for those specific things because prayer is the most powerful weapon in our arsenal against the powers and principalities, against the false teachers and false prophets that come against us and our mission and our ministry to the world. There's this account in the Gospel of Mark. It's in the ninth chapter. Starts at verse 14. There's an account where Jesus is healing a boy of a demon. 
After the disciples had been sent out, they could not, even though they had been given authority by Jesus himself to cast out demons, they could not cast out the demon from this boy. Mark writes, when they came back down the mountain to the other disciples, they saw a huge crowd around them. And the religion scholars cross-examining them, as soon as the people in the crowd saw Jesus, admiring excitement stirred them. They ran and they greeted him. And he asked, what's going on? What's all the commotion about? And a man out of the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my mute son, made speechless by a demon, to you. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth and he goes stiff as a board. I told your disciples, hoping they could deliver him, but they could not. Jesus said, what a generation. No sense of God. How many times do I have to repeat myself? How many times do I have to go over these things? How much longer do I have to put up with this? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. And when the demon saw Jesus, it threw the boy into a seizure, causing him to writhe on the ground and foam at the mouth. He asked the boy's father, how long has this been going on? Ever since he was a little boy, many times it pitches him into fire or the river to do away with him. If you can do anything, do it. Have a heart and help us. Jesus said, if, if I can do anything, there are no ifs among believers. Anything can happen in the kingdom. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than the father cried, then I believe, help me with my doubts. Seeing that the crowd was forming fast, Jesus gave the vile spirit its marching orders. Dumb and deaf spirit, I command you, out of him and stay out. Screaming and with much thrashing about, the evil demon left the boy. The boy was pale as a corpse, so the people started saying, oh, he's dead. But Jesus, taking the boy's hand, raised him, and the boy stood up. After arriving back home, his disciples cornered Jesus and asked, why couldn't we throw the demon out? He answered, there's no way to get rid of this kind of demon except by prayer. See, we have this, this attitude, don't we? When all else fails, pray. Have you heard that? When all else fails, pray. See, that's the way that we often approach our circumstances, isn't it? We, we, why do we do that? Why do we reserve our most powerful weapon in our arsenal for last instead of praying continually for the protection and the will of God to be made manifest in our lives? Instead of praying when everything else has failed, why don't we pray first to prevent the failure? See, the disciples lived with, ate with, walked with, studied with Jesus for three years. And they were given authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. Yet when it came to this particular kind of demon, only prayer could send it packing. What's that saying to us? It's saying 
It's not enough for us to know who Jesus is. It's not enough even for us to know his word, to know his teaching. We have to tap into the power that moves the mountains, that smooths the rough places, that raises the valleys, that heals the sick and raises the dead and provides restoration and redemption. We have to plug in to the Holy Spirit power and we do that through prayer. Head knowledge is not enough. Heart knowledge is not enough. The activity of plugging ourselves into the Holy Spirit power through prayer is what moves the mountains, what smooths the rough places, what raises the valleys, heals the sick, raises the dead, provides restoration and redemption, and oh, by the way, casts out the demons, reveals for false, the false prophets and teachers, And so I think it behooves us to pray. Not as last resort, but as a call to action. And so my prayer for you is, is like Paul's prayer for Colossae. May you be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to God as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God and may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from His glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. What a grand blessing that Paul has given us in this letter to Colossae. Do you feel blessed this morning? Do you feel blessed that God wants to bless you? That He wants you to know Him. That He loves the response that He gets from you when you do good works to help your neighbor. That's why we're here. That's why we're the church. May you be made strong with the strength that comes from God's glorious power this morning. Strength of spirit. Not willpower, but God's power. That's what He's blessing you with this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.